Introducing Minor Wisdom Quintet. Minor Wisdom is back after almost a month off. I apologize for not announcing that to those three of you that were probably looking forward to your Sunday episodes, but uh, I am back. I've got quite a few interviews under my belt. Uh, This week, I have Demond Wilson. Demond taught with Missy Head, as you'll hear in his uh, little background beginning at the top of this podcast or at the top of his interview and demand man you know i've I've started listening to um this podcast called smartless with jason bateman sean hayes will arnett Uh, that's one of the things i've been doing recently over the past month just catching up on that because it's hilarious and very fun and and basically the same type of podcast except uh they're making a lot more money off of it and it's probably funnier and just anyway But one of the things they said is, uh, they always, after every guest, they do, oh, what a great person, blah, 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 you know, all these great, and finally after one, I forget who they interviewed, it could have been LeBron James or somebody, but uh, somebody you wouldn't think of that, they said, no, this is, we say that a lot after people uh, are done with their interview, and we don't always mean it, or sometimes we embellish, or whatever, well, the... For demand, like I say, you know, these are great interviews and, and they all are in their own right. Um, I've had a few that are better than others. You, you can decide on which ones those are. Uh, but uh, demand, like he, he's just in, just a huge ball of inspiration. Uh, and I didn't. My normal kind of formula, if there is one, is to interview somebody and then kind of end it hopefully 45 minutes to an hour in with some sort of big crescendo of inspiration or a a big laugh or something like that and right off the cuff right off the cuff cuff right off the cuff excuse me I'm looking at a cuff right off the cuff he he inspired and me at least I don't care if it was you Uh, again I'm not getting paid for this he inspired me and I was like well I can't end it now uh, that would be a pretty short interview, so I just kept going. And then he did another one, and I was inspired by his words again. And then, so if you're feeling like I should keep ending this particular episode because you're like, hey, this is your normal formula, Blake, uh, yeah, you're right. I, there could have been eight times that I could have ended this episode because it ended with just inspiring words and, uh, just he he is he is a walking talking book of inspiration and uh, I couldn't I can't thank him enough for doing that uh, I also I was I was able to interview uh, quite a number of other people I'm actually sitting as we speak uh, in a hotel in Bastrop in a Best Western uh, I've got a lot of history with Best Westerns back when I toured uh, it wasn't the best hotel I stayed in but this one's not bad not bad. Uh, but getting ready, prepping for the last of the three Texas Thespians professional developments. And so while I was up here, or over here, I guess, because it's not really up, because I'm now, I think, north. Um, since I'm in North Houston, it's over. But I am over here in Bastrop, and I, I stopped in San Marcos and grabbed a quick interview from somebody that is 
famously living in San Marcos. And you'll know who that is if you don't know who that is. Uh, you'll know who that is in a couple of weeks. But um, so I've been I've been grabbing some interviews and really enjoying my time doing this. Uh, it's been a hell of a month. Uh, you know, we go back to school as this drops. This drops on August 1st. I'm going back to school August 2nd. My wife is going back August 2nd. Some of you are going back. Some of you are already back if you're like in a leadership position. So we're back and we are masking uh, indefinitely. We've been told we are going to be masking up indoors. Uh, we have to mask up indoors and we're not being told when we're going to stop. So hope everybody's staying safe. You know, the the no matter how you feel about any of the pandemic uh, and uh, uh, vaccination stuff, you know, I hope everybody's staying safe. Uh, I, for one, am vaccinated. So if you see me walk in the halls uh, uh, and, uh, you know, you want to have a quick chat, if you're part of my team, we can take the mask out. Okay, we can. But I want to protect my children. I want to protect my two little girls who cannot get vaccinated yet. And uh, no matter how, uh, if this is media driven or not, I don't care, man. I, I'm not willing to risk it. So uh, I'm, I'm willing to uh, mask up for a short amount of time relative to how long I'm hopefully on this earth. So anyway, uh, enough of that uh, discussion. The other thing I got to do is uh, we had an unfortunate incident at my school where a teacher got in some uh, hot water. I won't go into details about that. But uh, because of that, I had to work an event. So I've already worked an event in, in two weeks prior to my actual start date. And my boss, um, my uh, the head of school, uh, even made a joke to me saying, you're, you're going to hold the record for being uh, fired negative two weeks into the job. So he, he was totally tongue in cheeking, but it was pretty funny at the time, I guess he had to be there. But anyway, so I worked this event, it was a donors event and had a performance by Mallory Bechtel. And it was, uh, it was like, totally awesome. Uh, she's in Dear Evan Hansen. She's also a graduate of the school. So uh, it was that was really neat to watch. And she's really cool. If you know anything about Mallory, super down to earth. Uh, I was forced literally into taking a picture with her. One of the parents uh, that I was sitting with, a very persistent uh, parent, uh, was like, Blake, take a picture with her. Come on, take a picture with her. So um, it was right next to her. So what was I supposed to do? No, I'm good. <laughs> so I did. Anyway, but uh, uh, that was my introduction to my new school. And I'm a spoiled brat. I'm a spoiled, spoiled brat. Anyway, uh, the last thing I'm going to say is uh, we moved into a new house, so uh, my my little studio is getting still kind of getting the kinks out of it. So you're going to hear this uh, interview, and demand you can hear just fine, which you're supposed to. That's you're supposed to hear the interview e, not the interviewer. Um, it's a little hard to hear me, but fast forward through my parts. I mean, you hear me all the time. I'm talking right now, so uh, it is a little difficult to hear me, but. Uh, Feel free to fast forward through my parts and just listen to the walking, talking box of inspiration that is Demond Wilson. Everyone, enjoy. My journey to where I am now. Um, I grew up in a little bitty town called Andrews, Texas, um, and I lived there uh, from the time uh, that I was uh, three years old until we were till I was eight. And then we moved to Dallas 
and I ended up in a school district uh, called Plano. And I really went through the Plano school system from the time that I was in the sixth grade uh, through my senior year. I graduated from Plano Senior High and went from there to Southern Methodist University where I earned my BFA uh, in theater uh, and also uh, my teaching certificate there. And I was very fortunate from there to go and student teach at Arlington Martin and would eventually be hired to teach there full time. I was teaching both theater arts and the competitive speech. So I had the, the uh, interp team and debate team and also was uh, directing shows there as well. And um, was very fortunate to work with Karen Baker and Larry Cure there. And uh, we ended up taking the play A View from the Bridge to State my very first year, and we won the state championship uh, that year in 5A, which was the largest A at that time. And so I left after that year to try to start my own program, which I did at Carrollton Creek View High School and um, started the program there. And in our second year, we went to state. And in our third year, we went back and won state. And in my fourth year, we went back to state, took second. And then eventually I would leave to go and start this company called The Perfect Performance. And I left uh, for a year and then I came back for two more years and we had another state appearance and took second at state with Intimate Apparel. Intimate Apparel. And then that's when I full-time turned over the program uh, to an incredible person by the name of Missy Head who would take that program and really run with it uh, all those years later uh, going to state back to back to back and uh, and doing that. Um, and I've pretty much have spent the rest of my time roaming all over the country. I've been to Hawaii, California, New York, Chicago, far south Texas, um, and everything doing uh, the, perfect, the perfect performance, working with teachers and students on speech and theater, uh, doing clinics, um, I've gotten to the point to where I was so busy that um, I was at home maybe two days out of every month. And from there, um, I eventually ended up in South Texas, COVID hit, and it kind of has flipped everything upside down. And now I'm in the process of reinvention, post COVID, what does life look like now? And I'm dead in the middle of that as we speak. And that has landed me in Harlingen, Texas. So my career has taken me all over the country. It's also had me move all over the country. And it's been quite an adventure. Is, is this kind of where, you know, as a kid, is this kind of what you wanted to do, the, the, the theater arts and, and, and then going on into education and educating uh, the, the theater arts? I knew as a kid that I wanted to be one of three things. I wanted to be either an attorney, an actor, or a teacher. Yeah. And I think that the way that my life has gone, I've been all of them. <laughs> it's, what, right. it's what it feels like. But certainly an actor and a teacher, 
I've gotten to do it. I've gotten to deal with a lot of attorneys. So it all kind of uh, worked out in that way. But that's what was in me as a kid. Yeah, when was the moment you knew you wanted to do theater? Do you remember when you got bit? Oh, yeah. It was in the third grade. It's why I always believe that if you can get a kid hooked early, um, it's a life-changing moment. Um, I had an opportunity to play a lightning bug in the Christmas play. And it was a dangerous thing because they gave me a full backup crew. We were all in costume. My costume, the actual tail of my costume lit up. And I got to sing a solo with the group called This Little Light of Mine, and it was a jazzy number. And so we had all these steps, and I'm out there, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. And after that, the crowd was up on their feet, and my mom was crying, and my mom's best friend Mandy was crying, and it was just extraordinary, all of the... um, watching a crowd react and smile and laugh and be moved by what we were doing on stage. And I was addicted to that. I wouldn't get an opportunity to do it again until the eighth grade, but I knew that whatever that was, I wanted to be a part of doing that for and to people. Right. Right. And you, you you went to Plano. Was Plano the big kind of, uh, was that the juggernaut back then as it is now? You know, Plano is probably one of the larger school. It's It should be an 8A. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's one of those, or the the schools in Plano. One, is Was it as big then or was it still kind of coming up? Yes, no, it is absolutely, uh, it was absolutely huge. At that time, we had Plano Senior High and we had Plano East. So Plano West wasn't even a thought, I don't think, at that particular time. But our school was huge. It always reminded me of a huge uh, community college. Yeah, right. And so, um, yeah, we had a whole bunch of people there. And I was fortunate while I was in high school, my junior year, we went to state in one act. Yeah. Uh, my junior year. And, um, you know, that was really, you know, some of the, the foundation of what would make me into who I am today. Yeah. That was my foundation was starting there and at Vines High School. Was it, was it, uh, competitive? Was it, I mean, did you, did you feel a sense of accomplishment when you were cast or a part of different productions or, uh, was the, was the theater program smaller, you know? It, you, you hear these horror stories about large theater programs and kids not getting a, a huge opportunity because they uh, just aren't seen, really. Uh, you know, you've got your five or six stars. Were you able to break through that? Was it was it something you needed to do, uh, you found necessary back then? Yeah, we had a big program. Um, we had a big program and a very successful program and a very serious program. Um, you had to be on top of your game in order to be able to get a role there. And um, I fortunately got really great roles. 
uh, while I was there. Um, but we definitely had to compete for them. And there was no nonsense. And we always understood that every single day for us was an audition. And it was our day to either keep our role or to lose it. Right. How do you, so you, you've done quite a bit with one act plays and adjudicator now. Uh, what do you, what do you tell a school that doesn't advance um, maybe on early on in the process? You know, by the time you get to region or state, it's like, if you don't advance, you know, you have a good show. Uh, whereas the kids in zone and district and things like that, just because they don't advance doesn't mean they don't have a good show, but they don't necessarily feel they have a good show because they did not advance. Uh, what do you tell those yeah. kids based on your own, uh, or, or maybe not even based on your experience, but just like, what, what is it something that you, you tell them to say, Hey, it's okay. It's going to be all right. What, what are those, what are those words from demand? Well, let, let me, let me say this. Uh, actually, I needed to correct you on something. Okay. Okay. I have never I have never adjudicated an official UIL one act play contest. You've clinics, yeah. Ever. Okay. I clinic all over the place. Okay. All over the place. And 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 I and I and I also want to kind of speak to that because that adjudicator's job, that's so hard. And you're so splitting hairs. And it's just, you know, I love being in on the creative process on what do we do in order to make the work happen, not necessarily evaluating the end product, but I love being a part of the process as they're, as they're building it. But I can tell you what I used to tell my students. Some of the best work that we ever did didn't advance. And some of the crappiest work that we have, have ever done did. Right, right. And at the end of the day, the work for me was never measured by the success in terms of how far the play went. And I know some people, whatever, may listen to this or may watch this, and they may say, yeah, sure, Devon, you know, y'all were at stake so much, and that's easy for you to say and everything. But I really do mean this. If the process was bad, to me, the show wasn't worth it. And what I mean by bad is, is that did the kids show up prepared every day to bring me as a director some choices to work with? Or was it just about the decisions that I made out of my head? I do not like one-sided creating uh, of shows. I want for the actors I teach you so that you can reach into your own creativity and you know where to find that within yourself so that when you come to me, you bring me a buffet of choices. Nice, yeah. No. So I always measured our success with how much did kids bring back to that process and how much of that could they do without me? And, and the most successful things that I ever did were things that I didn't do but that the kids did, the choices that, that they made uh, that were just um, incredible that I never would have thought to do in a million years. Right, right. That's what was extraordinary to me. When they would say, hey, Mr. Wilson, we just blocked the scene. Hey, watch this. <laughs> and I walked in and we were doing uh, 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 Dancing at Lunasa. 
And for whatever reason, Missy was gone and I had gotten sick. I think she and I both had gotten sick. And so we had, um, we had uh, parents there um, that were, um, we had parents there that were watching the kids from our booster club and all of that. And so they came up with this moment in which they, um, um, he walked out on stage and he said, God, what was the line? Oh yeah, it was a, a dancing as if words no longer existed because language was no longer necessary. And then he turns back to the group and he takes this dust out of his pocket and he spins around in a circle and he goes, and when he blew this dust, everybody disappeared behind the stage. And I walked up there and the, and the kid said, well, Mr. Wilson, you know, what, what do you think? And I just burst out into tears. And they were like, oh my God, it's so bad. It's so bad, you know, we'll fix it, we'll fix it. And I'm like, no, y'all don't understand. I'm so overwhelmed because it was so beautiful. And not only was it so beautiful, but you all did it. And it just really overwhelmed me because I'm like, you guys get it. Like, y'all don't need me anymore. And that to me is the measure of success is when you've taught them to a point to where they don't need you anymore, that's when it's successful because then they can make it. Right, right. And that's that's really what I gauge my productions on. So we really competed against ourselves. We weren't really competing against anybody. And I think that's what really made the difference. You know, uh, I've and I'm sure she wouldn't mind me mentioning it, but I've had a a lot of chats with Destiny Miller at Bush High School. And she, you know, they've had a lot of success recently over the past few years going to state. And so the pressure is no longer uh, the pressure's greater now because they they don't feel, you know, it used to be they advance once and all was good. Now there's that community pressure. There's the the pressure within the school. And uh, well, last year the superintendent came to the parade. You know, all these different internal pressures. But it's the same thing. It's the kids no longer. Now, mind you, yes, Destiny has quite a bit of a, a, a say in the show. But the kids have become the department. It, it's it's not the department just includes kids. You know, and uh, uh, but that but that pressure has changed quite a bit with success did you find that with you as well that it became more it, it's almost as the it became harder to <laughs> you know kind of get that that monkey off your back kind of thing to say look we've been successful can't that be enough now you have to keep that success up and continue the success and meet these standards is that would you can you speak on that at all I would love to because <laughs> okay. I think that, I, I think that psychologically and and you can call Missy and you can call you can call up a lot of schools that we used to compete with and she would always say to me how in the world are you so calm like all this is at stake and how can you be so calm you know and um, and other schools or whatever would come in and my kids were so calm and I was so calm. And then people would say, well, you all just know you're going to win. That's why you're so calm. 
That's what it is. And here goes the thing. Yeah. It had not our calmness had nothing to do with us thinking we were going to win. It had nothing to do with the fact that I somehow subdued them with some voodoo, some kind of a way. It had nothing to do with any of that. It had everything to do with this. At the end of the play, Sideman, and this is something that we used to say at every single one of our, because we won state with Sideman, but we would say this at the end of every single one of our warmups. At the very end, he says, they played not for fame and certainly not for money. They played for each other. And that was the difference for us is that every year it wasn't about how do we compete against last year? It wasn't about how do we outdo last year? It was about how do we find the magic in the group that we have? How do we maximize their voices? How do we find the play that fits them the best? Not the play that's gonna win. Because the year that Missy and I did Dancing at Lunasa, that was a tired script to do at that time. Like we just won State with Sidemen, which nobody knew. Yeah. And then you're gonna come back with this well-known, well-traveled, mild out show called Dancing at Lunasa. Why would you bring that mess in here when you should be doing something different now? We need to go and do something nobody's ever heard of it. We right. need to know, we need to do the play that fits the people. And I don't care what that title is, if it's great literature and it fits your kids, then that's what you do. And you play that hand for all that it's worth. And if my kids every single time are bringing me work that they're able to create on their own, that we're able to marry together with that, and that we're able to find that magic. And then they go up there on that stage and they literally light that stage up. What else can I expect from them? And I would tell my kids all the time, what does going to state have to do with the fact that, for example, if you're doing close ties, that you're dealing with a lady that is struggling with, do I put my mother in a home or not? What does that have to do with the fact that the mother right now is going through Alzheimer's and her world doesn't make sense to her and she thinks she's seen things that she's not seeing and she loves her family but she knows that things are going out of control in her life. What does going to state have to do with the work that we're doing right now? Going to state is the end result. Advancing is the end result but stay with the work. You will never, ever lose yourself and you will never, ever lose your kids as long as the work remains the most important thing, the words and the work and the process. That's the difference. And so we were never worried about, well, the superintendent thinks this 
or this person thinks that, or this parent. And I would always have people come in all the time trying to put all of that on me. And I would go, guys, that has nothing to do with what we're doing. What? And I fundamentally believed it. And every time they would jump to new heights and all of a sudden people were like, well, we don't understand. How are y'all able to do this? It's because it was about, they played not for fame. They played not for advancement and they played certainly not for money. They played for each other. And if you're not careful, you can lose yourself trying to win. It's so easy to do that. But I was so fortunate because I love words. I love literature. I love exploring those worlds with students. I love the power that kids can bring onto that stage in those moments. And that was always so exciting to me. And I always used to tell my kids, listen, if we lose, we still win because by God, we finally get to have a normal life. <laughs> and if we win, then we win because we get the honor of being able to tell that story again and exploring more and more depth in depth with that. So either which way you go, we're going to be okay. Man. You know, yeah, I... and we really were. And, and we handled it in that way. And it was very healthy. Yeah. You know, you know, you, I, I see I've seen directors that have won so much and they'll get to state and they're all yelling at their kids and, and things are so intense and everything is so, you know, and, you know, I'm back there. We're playing spades. I don't know if you all know what that game is. Oh, yeah. We're playing <laughs> cards, and laughing, and having a good time. And I'll never forget they were doing a, an inner school show, you know. They used to make fun of the plays at yeah. one act. Yeah, yeah. And uh, before my kids went out there for Sideman, the the crew overheard me tell my kids my very last words to my kids in Sideman were, I looked at them, I said, hey, guys. And they said, what? I said, don't suck. And I walked out off there. And the crew, everybody fell out laughing up there. And my kids laughed, too. And then they went over there, and that curtain went up, and they lit that audience up and they made fun of it in the inner school show because they said and the director's final words to his cast were don't suck and then the guy said and you know what <laughs> it didn't yeah right yeah that's that's one of my favorite things to do too i i usually I'll high five all the kids except for one or something. You know, it's just something to kind of break the ice just to just to joke around or do something because usually the, the we we're not we're not the uh, football coaches that go out there and yell and scream and tell them to to you know they they got to hit the other person hard enough to knock them out and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I totally get that. It's not not about the pep talk. It's about just what what the kids need. You know, uh, but anyway that that. You know, normally I try to end my podcast. I'm not ending this interview yet, but normally what I do is my, my formula, which is not very uh, 
intense or difficult, but is to just have the person end with like words of encouragement, words of advice, anything like that. And you've just, that's all you're doing is, is giving words of encouragement, words of advice. And, but I would be a fool to end it now. So here, here's what I want to do. I, I want to switch from one act play partially <clears throat> because uh, I don't want to just label you as a one act play director, but also there, <clears throat> what I'm finding with this is there are quite a few directors that uh, don't want to walk into an interview with a new principal or a new administration and only be asked about what's your what did you do with one act? How successful have you been with one act? It's it's also to some people about what do they do for their community and what have they done on campus and what shows have they done and community outreach and all this kind of stuff. So I want you to talk a little bit about also how your on campus work has. Uh, kind of affected you and affected the kids and the departments that you've uh, been a part of, had your thumbprint on, um, and also then maybe speak on how that transitions into your company. Because I do want you to talk about perfect performance um, and and kind of what that is and how that changes from uh, state to state. Even you know, I just unpacked a lot for you, but uh, I want you to talk about that on campus work first and maybe how that differs from your experience as a one-act play director and um, not as an adjudicator, but as a clinician. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, speak on that a little bit too, your, all your on-campus efforts as well. Well, first of all, um, you, you asked me a lot of questions yeah, yeah, yeah. there, and I, I will do my best to, I'll do my best to answer as many of them This is why I don't have my own talk show, but, but yeah, yeah, go. <laughs> no, it's all good. It, it's all good. So first of all, the uh, I want to speak to, uh, I want to speak to the fact of, of what we did as far as community outreach. Within my department, I always taught my kids that it's important to give back. So my seniors always worked with my juniors. My juniors always worked with my sophomores. My sophomores always worked with my freshmen. So we had almost a trickle-down art effect going on. Okay. Um, so that was, uh, that, was that um, within the department. Uh, outside of the department, we would always go and perform for English classes. We would go down to our middle schools and, and do outreach there. And we would also go into elementary schools and perform for elementary kids or have elementary kids and middle schools or whatever come up and see those performances um, as well. Um, I call that outreach, not just because it was a great re recruiting tool for us, and it was. But it was an opportunity for us to get to get kids into our program that a lot of other people would call throwaways. And I used to love those kids. They would come in with multicolored hair and alternative kids and people that, you know, had reading disabilities and all of these kind of disabilities and all of a sudden whatever, I would find that these kids that were disabled were absolutely phenomenal in theater, would have all of these hidden talents and whatnot. 
because I believe that theater has the ability to change people's lives. And sometimes the, the best thing that it ever did for a kid was an opportunity for them to be able to stand up there in front of a group and not sweat or not pass out or not shake so bad that they didn't know, you know, what to do. But it was, it, it's, it, our outreach was finding those people that needed to be there in order to be helped by what the theater is able to do. I think that that was our biggest thing is that a lot of people would say to me, the only reason why I come to school is so I can be in theater class. And, and a lot of kids, that's the only reason why they graduated or why they did so well is because they had that opportunity. And that to me is the biggest outreach is reaching out there and saving kids through this art that was our outreach. Right. Yeah. And, and we if just, yeah, sense. no, that, that was, no, that was perfect. We just had, uh, not to plug Texas Thespians professional development, cause this will probably air after that's all done. But, uh, we had Amy Jordan, uh, speak and it wasn't about Texas Thespians. It wasn't really about any of that stuff. And, uh, what she, what, one of her biggest takeaways was, she said she grew her department at Denison because she just said, give me all the kids. Just if a kid doesn't want to do, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, I'll take them. If they don't want to go over here, I'll take, you know, just give me everybody. Um, and so that's, wow. kind of, you know, that's kind of a similar sentiment uh, as far as just, just give me the kids, you know, and we'll, we'll figure out what, what they're good at and they'll figure out what they're good at uh, because we'll allow them to do that. We'll give them that freedom. So yeah, that's that's great. So then, so then, w once you start getting these kids in, once you start getting the, as you said, and you put it in quotes, <laughs> so because it's not, it's, there's no video element to this. So I don't want people listening to this that you 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 know the the throwaway kids or whatever. It was you know it was that air quote thing. It wasn't actually uh, your sentiment, if you will. But uh, the, the those kids that are, uh, you know, and I and I always said now I'm in a different situation, but when I would go to ARD to, for some of my students and they would say, okay, Mr. Minor, how are they in theater? I, I'd say they're great. What, like what's, I don't understand why you're having an issue in English class or science class. And, you know, the, the, <laughs> exactly. yeah, the, the issue is, is that they don't want to be there and they want to be in my room. Uh, and, and that's, right. you know, what are you doing wrong that, and I'm doing right that is creating that situation. So, uh, but anyway, exactly. yeah. It, so where did you end up, uh, uh, kind of not where uh how did you end up using these kids in your program and then building uh your your shows and building your uh even you know shoot you probably have done a couple of car washes or you know those kind of fundraising type things that you have to do do you end up finding homes for them in those in those places or or just keeping them a part of your community a part of your program just to keep them close and and let them know that they have a place to go because Demond, I don't need you to throw anybody under the bus, but some of those kids, uh, although unique, are not necessarily talented. So <laughs> you do sometimes have to find a place for them because you don't want them to go to the curb. So how did you end up using some of those kids uh, in unique ways or even maybe even uh, non-unique ways, uh, a very uh, normal type of way? You want to talk about that? I always found, and I would always tell kids, there is a place for you somewhere in this program. Costumes, keeping the room clean, yeah. <laughs> keeping the library organized, uh, lighting, 
set building, uh, helping out with our fundraisers. Yes, we did uh, cost. We did a. Uh, uh, garage sales. We did car washes. We did waiting over at Sonic. They would we would take over for the wait staff and whatever tips we made okay. uh, went back into the program. Um, uh, everything's going out and selling ads for our uh, program for our musical and things like that. There was always a job for everybody to be able to do something to contribute to be able to make the magic happen on stage and that kids would feel like they were a part of the success of that production because I was very clear about if we don't have all of these things happening, then these productions can't happen. Right, right. And so they always felt like they were a part of a bigger thing or a very successful thing. Yeah. And um, and that worked out well for us. Yeah. So I, I've, I've got to ask you this, and I don't know if you have an answer to this. Some people don't, but what is there, is there something unique you used to do in your department uh, that you don't feel other people might do? And that can be either a quirky kind of tradition thing. Uh, you know, the, the, the week you induct thespians, you have them do uh, a song and dance number for everybody. Or is there something that you did in your department that you, th that you feel might not be done across the state of Texas or even around the country? And the answer may be no. <laughs> That's okay, too. Well, I, I will say this, and, and maybe this is happening more than I realize, but I really taught the kids to love to read. Yes, okay. And because of that, when it would come around to one act time or for musical time and all that, I never really had a problem finding a play because they would be in there. They've read this, read that, and like, Wilson this, and Wilson this, and what about this, 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 this. And I was like, what? What's that about? Oh, and then this happens in the story. And just listen to this part right here when they say this. And look. And the more and more I go around the programs, I'm not seeing kids reading. I see kids waiting on their director to read, but I don't see them bringing the literature to the table in ways that my kids are bringing that literature to the table. And I thought that's very important because it's hard to see the fact that a lot of plays are really related to one another. You know, we, we spend so much time trying to find the magic bullet. Oh, this is the play right here. And the reality of it is, as this play is really like this play, which is really like this play, which is really like this play, but you have to read enough in order to see the commonalities. Right. So what did you, you know? do? What and did you do? I think that my kids really read a lot. And I, I see that disappearing more and more and more. Do, do like you... I, I go into people's libraries and and the books are just dusty. And I'm like, yeah. nobody's touched these books. <laughs> what, what did you do to get them to, I mean, I know it's probably a process. It's not an overnight thing, but what did you in a nutshell do to get them to do that? Because I too, I try very, very hard as well. Um, you know, my, my biggest thing is that I pride myself on and this has to do with, I was taught by Bob Singleton, and so he kind of instilled this in me, but don't let them leave the school not knowing our town, not knowing Death of a Salesman, not knowing A Raisin in the Sun. You know, you can't let them, if they get to college and they don't know these plays, that's an embarrassment on 
me, not them. Um, and, and sometimes I was successful, sometimes I wasn't, but I never had a magic potion. It had to do a little bit with the buy-in from the student. So is there something that you, a process that you kind of went through to, to get them to buy in like that? Yeah, I think, and this is an unfortunate thing because I think that this animal, and I mean this animal as in this teacher, is just about dead and gone now. Yeah. But I came from that generation, or really, I think really my generation was the last of it, of the people that did both speech tournaments and theater. Right. right. So my kids, and, and, and where we weren't in conflict, oh, those tournaments are just, oh, oh, theaters, ugh. No, I'm like, no, y'all better learn how to make both of these things, you know. And yes, there are some techniques and things that are different in each. But in one weekend, my kids will be exposed, especially if they went to the final round, which all of my kids were required to go and see and all of that. You could be exposed up to, you know, 50, 60, 70 plays in one weekend. Right. And so then they would see those things and then they would go, and I would say, okay, now, you know, find three things that you saw and get those plays. And I would have them do reports on those things. And they would come back with, oh, I saw this and I loved it. But now I read the whole story and they missed all of this in their cutting and all of that in their cutting. And so we, we were constantly having new literature brought in because they were constantly being exposed to it week after week after week. Now, not doing the tournaments anymore, um, it's very difficult. It's very, very difficult, but that was a huge advantage that we had is that we did both. And it made the kids want to read it because they were seeing other kids successful with the material. So thus they wanted to read that material. And it was a way that I kind of suckered them into learning how to love to read those stories. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. You know, it's, it's, uh, I think you're very, very right, very on the nose with uh, kids not, not reading as much and, and waiting for the director to do the work and, um, I'm sure we could talk for a long time about that, but, uh, so what I want to go to now, um, kind of the plug part of the, the, <laughs> the, uh, the conversation, uh, so perfect performance or the perfect performance. Um, I just moved to right outside the woodlands. I'm going to be teaching in the woodlands. I have to remember that it's not wow. woodlands. It's the woodlands. It's a fit, you know, it's the so, woodlands. So anyway, the perfect performance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I know that uh, I would assume that some of your stuff is wrapping up that you have on your website right now and it's going to transition because you have lots of summer related, you know, summer workshops and, and things like that. But w what is the perfect sure. performance? Uh, again, give that kind of elevator pitch. Uh, you know, I'll ask some questions off of it, but uh, I, I see the, the, that you do the online coaching, which was that a thing before COVID um, or, or did you mm. did you do online teaching before you do in service script? Cutting? I did it. Yeah. OK, uh, you, you offer yeah. a lot. And uh, I want you to talk about the company a little bit, pitch it a little bit, and then I, I might ask some questions about it. Well, first of all, the perfect performance was born, um, the perfect performance came and found me. I didn't go looking for it. I was very happy doing my stuff at my school. And um, all of a sudden I started getting phone calls from people starting out in California actually, is where, my, where it really started. And I would fly out there to California and work with their kids on 
just coaching them on speech and debate. And then eventually people started calling me all over the country. And I really had to make the decision of, you know, what am I going to do? Because what I began to realize is, is that there were a lot of teachers from all over the country that, that needed my help, that needed to know what are the secrets to making this program successful? How do we do this and not kill ourselves in the process? How do we do this and take this up to the next level? You know, what do, what do we do in order to, to make that uh, magic happen in our program? And I'll never forget that I went to my principal and I was in tears and I said, I've really got to make a decision because I'm working seven days a week. And I was hardly able to go with the kids to tournaments because, um, and, and I'm saying all this, I know we're, we're, I'm trying to plug the business, but I think it's always important to know where it started yeah, and what the intent of it yeah. is. And I said to her, I said, I've got to make a choice because I can't keep doing this seven day a week thing. And she said to me, she said, when I hired you, I knew that I had captured a rare bird. And she said, I knew that because you have taken our students to heights that in 30 some years as being a principal, I never thought that they could reach. She said, you came in here, this little young whippersnapper, you're, you taught for one year, y'all had just one state and one act, and you're telling me that within five years, we're gonna be state champions and you did it in three and you took us to state in two and we're already you know, on the map and you're doing all these incredible things. And she says, I knew that we could only trap this rare bird for so long. And she said, Damon, she said, you have to fly now. She said, because People need you all over the country and it would be selfish to keep you here. And she said, I'm accepting your letter of resignation. And she and I both cried in her office and, and held one another. And uh, I'll never forget that day uh, because it was a moment in which I loved my kids and I loved those moments. And I wanted to travel across the country and be able to share that magic. And I was blessed enough to do that for 25 years. Go into people's classrooms where I would see people drowning and ready to quit. And suddenly it's like I'm rushing in like a 911 um, with 911 oxygen saying, no teacher, you can live. You're gonna make it. And kids, y'all can be better. And y'all are gonna help this teacher. And this is what you're gonna do. And to watch those programs that were splintering and falling apart come back together or to watch these people that their programs were in such a high level. And they're like, we don't know how we're gonna maintain this. And I'm, I'm about to go off the rails or, 
you know, and to, and to show them coping strategies and what all we do. So the perfect performance, what is it? The reason why we offer a lot is because I bring everything that I have to the table. And I look at where is your program succeeding? Where is it failing? And I try to design a plan around a program and that will help it maximize itself. And some people I think over the years have thought of the perfect performance as some quick elixir. You know, we always want the mega shake. You know, we want to lose 50 pounds and I want one drink and poof, boom, it's ready to go. And the perfect performance is not that. The perfect performance is process-based. It is about figuring out strengths and weaknesses. And it's about designing a program customized to programs to be able to get the most out of um, students, to be able to get the most out of teaching, to get the most out of your administration, and to hopefully help teachers do this for a very, very long time. That's what the perfect performance is. Man. <laughs> and so, so what, wow. That, that's, I mean, you're, you are an inspiration, sir, but uh, where has perfect performance taken you that you didn't see it taking you? Where, where have you gone that you thought, man, I, I never thought in a million years that I would, I would be doing this or be here right now. Mm. It almost took me to the Oprah Winfrey show. <laughs> okay. I was, I was, I was invited uh, because a teacher friend of mine actually was tricked by Oprah. He was told that he was just there to do a, a, a taping behind the scenes. And, and, and the lady said, stick your head in there. And uh, he stuck his head in there and Oprah looked at him and said, Tommy Lindsay, is that you? <laughs> and she says, come on out here. And she gave him $100,000 wow. for an angel award. Wow. And I felt very proud of that because I was a huge part of that, of helping him with his students and all of that. And he invited me, begged me, said, please come to the Oprah show. And I'm like, no, these kids need me here. And I chose to stay with kids versus going to see Oprah. Um, it took me all the way out to Hawaii to work with some amazing, amazing kids at Kamehameha High School. And they threw a luau for me. Wow. And the, the president of the school was there. And, um, and all of a sudden, um, we were eating this big, huge, amazing dinner at the president's house. And all of a sudden from out of nowhere, this huge choir comes in and they start singing this beautiful song about lead us to a place, help us with your grace and all this stuff and this live music and all this stuff. And I'm sitting back and all this was for me. I, 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 I was speechless. And they're like, awesome. for all that you've done for all these kids, you know, I was like, how in the world? Yeah. Um, it's led me to some really, really small towns, but little Tawanda, Pennsylvania, which I ended up actually moving to Tawanda. And with those kids in Tawanda, you know, people had said, oh, this is a little farming community. I mean, our town maybe had, you know, maybe 200 people in it. And I never lived in a place like that before. Wow. 
And like we, they would shut the school down for a thing called Buck Day, where kids would go out and hunt with their dads and their moms <laughs> for deer. Like that's a that's a thing, that's you know. They would come in. Oh, this was we got venison sausage and all. I'm like, no, I, I, baby, I appreciate you, but not today. You know that kind of a thing. And I would eventually work with those kids, and we went to state in one act, and with three kids, those three kids played over forty roles between the three of in one play and we had two light cues lights on and lights off and we had no sound and i'll never forget being on that state stage we ran through our two light cues and we did some vocal checks and all that and then i gathered all the kids up and we sat around in a circle and we talked about how we got there and and the other teacher that was there with me she said that she heard somebody say bless their hearts they're from a little bitty farm school. Bless their hearts. They're just sitting up there on that stage. and They don't even have any sound. And oh, It's just going to be a long day for them. But isn't it sweet that they're here? And we come out there to do our actual play. And what they didn't know is, is that all of our kids were in the band. So our sound was all played live. Yeah. And all of a sudden from out of our benches, the clarinet comes out, <laughs> the saxophone comes out. We had a little child's piano, which he played it like he was playing a grand piano. <laughs> and all of a sudden this play lights up and all of our little lighting instruments, we had them live and we were beating on things and all this kind of stuff was done live. And then they would play all these different characters and you would see them change right in front of the audience and the play kept moving and people were just like shocked and amazed by that. And by the end of it, I'll never forget, somebody grabbed me by the on my shoulder and this lady, she said, who are you? I said, who have all... I said, well, what are you talking about? My name is Devon Wilson. No, who are you? And what is this? We've never seen anything like this. We thought y'all were just some little farm school. I said, we are. What are you talking about? We're little Tawanda, little sad school, remember? And we proceeded to take straight ones and win the state championship that day <laughs> at that little farm school. So it, it, it took me to places like that. It, it took me into people's homes. Um, it took me into meeting all kinds of people from all over the world. And I've had a charmed life. Um, I, I have an advantage of the fact that I know what they're doing on the West Coast. I know what kind of theater and stuff is happening on the East. I know what's happening in the North. So when I'm critiquing things, I'm bringing in all kinds of stuff that people are like, what? I never even thought about that. I'm like, oh yeah, they're doing this over here. This is what's happening over here. And, you know, it's just, it's, um, it's taken me to some incredible places. I met some incredible celebrities and, just met just some normal people that are doing extraordinary stuff. And um, yeah, when that bird was let out of that cage, I flew and I, and I, I my whole thing was if I wasn't going to be a creep view with my kids, then by God, I wanted to do something great. And I hope with the perfect performance, you know, that that's what I was able to do. Minor wisdom.